Well, hello again. So, in July, I preached up here, and I preached on worship and different ways that you can worship. And Kent is still on his fall break. So, my dad has actually come out to preach, and he's doing part two of what I was talking about. So, if you would, put your hands together for my dad. on. All right. I had a little trouble the first service, but that's okay. So welcome to part two, Worship Strikes Back. <laughs> Thanks, Grace, for laughing. I appreciate that. Um, when Anthony called, I was like, uh, yeah, I'll come in and uh, I, I get to correct everything you did wrong in your first, service, your first sermon. So, you know, it was, it's kind of fun. Uh, before we start, though, uh, I think we should stop and have a time of prayer for what's going on over in, in Israel. Uh, I just saw in the news uh, the Israel cabinet has declared war, so the Middle East is going to be up in flames. I hate to be pessimistic, but this, this is not going away soon. So, so far there have been over 600 deaths. Some Israeli Americans have been uh, taken hostage, and it's just getting worse. So uh, if you don't mind, let's, let's pray before we, we dive in, into the sermon. Dear Lord, we lift up the nation of Israel, your, your people, God. We, we lift them up to you. Lord, this terrorist attack was unprecedented. 600 lives were lost, and the death toll just seems to be going up every time I turn on the news. Lord, I just pray for those families that have lost so much, for the families of the wounded, for the, for the wounded that you, know, you can be with them and comfort them. Lord, and I just pray that you would be with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, just help him too use uh, wisdom and decisions that he and the cabinet has to make, Lord. Just pray for this entire situation, God, that somehow, some way, we know the only way that peace is going to happen is through a miraculous intervention by you, Lord. And I, I just pray that that would come sooner rather than later, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we're going to talk about worship. John 4.23 says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Notice in this verse what God is not looking for in a worshiper. He's, he's, he's not looking for public speakers. He's not looking for charismatic leaders. He's not looking for really good-looking ministers to fill in for your pastor. <laughs> Thanks. It took a while for some of you to get that. Uh, he is not looking for the best dressed. He's not looking for people with the most Instagram followers. He is looking for true worshipers. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look to see what uh, true worship is and, and what, what that means. Psalm 100 says this, Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. I love the fact that the Bible has an entire book that is nothing more than a hymnal. And most of it is a hymnal of praise to God. They're worship songs. 
you know, we I grew up sometimes in church, pastors would get up and say, well, you know, music is worship, but there's also this, and there's also this, and there's also this. And, and it's almost like music gets kind of downplayed, but that's not what we see in the Bible. Goodness gracious, uh, Psalm 100. Read Psalm 150. I'm not going to. It's a short psalm. I call it the rock and roll psalm. But all Psalm 150 does is tell us how loud and proud we are to worship God. It's pretty amazing. Um, if you notice, though, sometimes I'll be standing in service or sitting down here, and a lot of times when the music is going, you'll see me doing this. Actually, I am worshiping, though, and i tell you why. I'm not a good musician. I'm not a good singer. I don't want people around to be, like, uh, distracted by the horrible tones that come out of my mouth. But I am the world's best music fan. I follow all my favorite bands and all my favorite musicians. I'm the first one to go tell someone, hey, so-and-so released a new album. You're going to love it or blah, blah, blah. And one thing that I, one reason I am such a huge fan of music is that God has given us this, this gift of music. And he gave us this gift of music for us to be able to sing praises back to him. And when I hear a good musician play guitar excellently or, or play drums or bass or sing. I am in awe of that. You can ask my wife how many times I'll say, oh, you're not going to believe so-and-so released a new band, released a new, I'm listening to this, this is, this is incredible. And she's like, yeah, that's really good. I'm like, what do you mean it's really good? This is fantastic. And I get a little enthusiastic about it. So when I go to a church, like the one that Ruth and I went to the first, uh, first few years we were married, um, we had, we had, you never knew what you were going to get from Sunday to Sunday. Here you come. Anthony will mix it up. He'll have different songs. He'll have different musicians up here. But you always know the worship's going to be good. Because I might be a little biased, but Anthony's a pretty darn good musician, right? Yeah, okay. And his mom? Oh, jeez. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> So we went to this church, and they, they had a, a guy there who'd play piano every once in a while. His name was Jason. And uh, when, when Jason was in town, we knew worship was going to be good. Uh, last time we saw Jason, he was touring with Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith as their piano player. So yeah, so we knew when Jason was going to be there, music was going to be good. But then there would be the weird Sundays. One Sunday we were there, and a conga line broke out. In service. No, no, I'm not lying. It's a conga line. They called it a Jericho march because I guess conga line doesn't exactly sound scriptural. So they called it a Jericho march. It was the same thing. People put their hands on the shoulders of the person in front of them and they did like a snake all the way around the auditorium. Whoa. Then one Sunday, this lady got up to sing and how do I put this politely? It was nauseating. It was so bad. If you enjoy music, this was anti-music. You know, there's matter and anti-matter, and they come together, destruction happens. This was anti-music. It was distracting. When we talked to Ruth's mom after the service was over, uh, her mom would say, well, at least she was sincere. (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, sincerely awful. It was just, it was really bad. We want to give the God of worship honor and glory. We don't want to give him our leftovers and half-baked efforts to worship him. 
If you're out there and you enjoy singing loud and you're awful, that's fine. But I don't expect you to come up here and try to lead us. Do you get what I'm saying? I hope so. So God is seeking true worshipers. We want to give God the worship and the honor and glory that he is due. And for the next few minutes, we're going to go over three ways that you can tell that a, worship, a worshiper is, is a true worshiper. The first point, we worship with awe. In Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, I love sitting around a campfire. I I don't enjoy a lot of the other things that goes along with camping. Anthony will try to get me to go primitive camping at Red River Gorge where you, like, sleep on the ground and no, that no. It's not for me. I, I, want, I want my memory foam mattress, you know. But I do enjoy the campfire part of things. And we enjoy putting a fire in our, uh, in our fireplace at, at home. Uh, when, many winter a night, we will sit there and be drinking coffee or hot chocolate. Ruth and I will be just staring into that fire, and it's mesmerizing, right? So it's almost peaceful. Do you think that is the picture of fire that the that the author of Hebrews is saying when he says God is a consuming fire. No, he's not. I'm going to tell you a little story. Many of you probably have heard this story before. It's about this guy named Elijah, prophet of the Old Testament. God came to Elijah one day and said, you know what, this Ahab guy, the leader of Israel, he married this woman named Jezebel. And if you all in here have daughters that you're going to name later, do not name her Jezebel, that's just horrible. That would be really cruel. Jezebel was this awful, awful woman who led the nation of Israel away from God, the entire nation, away from God and into Baal worship. We're told to not be unequally yoked, and this is a great example of what happens when that happens, right? So you have Ahab, who was a follower of God, marries Jezebel in order to keep her happy. He turns his back on God and gets the entire nation of Israel to worship Baal. So God tells Elijah, I'm going to send a drought. There's going to be a famine in the land. I'll take care of you. You need to go into hiding after you tell Ahab and Jezebel what's going to happen because they're going to come looking for your head. So Elijah goes into hiding. A few years go by. Famine's really bad. Now it's time for Elijah to make his appearance again. So he goes to Ahab. Ahab. Ahab looks at him and says, you are a troublemaker. And Elijah was like, you haven't seen anything yet. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a duel in the desert. This is the the Bowman paraphrase. This isn't in the King James, okay? We're going to have a duel in the desert. You're going to get all 800 plus of your Baal prophets and priests to come to Mount Carmel, and I will go there by myself and the almighty, powerful, one true God, and we're going to see which God will burn their sacrifice. So the whole nation of Israel goes to Mount Carmel. All of the prophets of Baal are there. And here's Elijah. And the prophets of Baal, they, take their, they, they kill their bull. They throw it on top of their altar. And they're dancing around. They're dancing around. And Elijah, he likes to poke fun at people. It's great. I love this guy. He's a real smart aleck. 
I, I totally, completely identify with him. He uh, looks at them and says, uh, hey, guys, uh, you might want to yell a little louder. Maybe Baal's a little hard of hearing, you know. And then he says this. I, I didn't know this was in the Bible until I was studying this. I've been told this story many times, and I read through the passage today. He actually, or this week, he actually said, hey, maybe Baal is using the bathroom and relieving himself, and he can't come right now. Elijah said that to him. I was like, that's great. I love that. This guy's awesome. He uses potty humor for the Lord. Yes. So, so then Elijah says, well, maybe he's sleeping. Be louder. Try to wake him up. Of course nothing happens. We know nothing happens. So the prophets of Baal pull out their really sharp knives, and they start cutting themselves. And it's not just a little like a razor cut or a paper cut. They're taking their knives, and they're gashing themselves. Blood was flowing freely onto the ground. So they give up. Nothing. Nothing happens, of course. So Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to rebuild the altar to the Lord that was on Mount Carmel that had been torn down. So they rebuild it. Twelve big stones on the altar signifying the twelve tribes of Israel. They take the bull that they're going to sacrifice. They kill it. They put it on the altar. Not only did they do that, he had them dig a trench around the altar and then go get clay pot after clay pot after clay pot of water and pour on the altar until that trench was full. So now the sacrifice is sopping wet. The wood under it is sopping wet and there's water all over the place. And God, excuse me, Elijah just says, God, do your thing, basically. You're, you're the almighty God. You are the God that Israel should be serving. Do your thing. Boom, fire came down from heaven consumed the sacrifice. Not only consumed the sacrifice, but consumed the wood the sacrifice was on. Not only consumed the wood the sacrifice was on, consumed the rocks that made the altar, and not only did that, consumed the dirt underneath the altar, oh, and of course, consumed all the water. That is a consuming fire. That's not a fire in the fireplace that you make popcorn over. This is a fire that's so hot it burns rock. Not melts it, but burns it. I don't even know what temperature that would have to be. That is what the, the author of Hebrews is saying about God. He is a consuming fire that is that powerful. So when uh, the, the author of Hebrews says consuming fire, the Jews of the first century immediately went to that, that story. And those words are used, consuming fire. It's pretty awesome. Not pretty awesome. It's really awesome. First Kings 18.38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trenches. <laughs> wow. That's pretty incredible. What did Elijah do next? Turned and looked at the... I'm sure he turned and looked at the Israelites and was like, you know, what are you going to do? And they're like, okay, we're like... Wayne and Garth, we're not worthy, you know. And so they bow and start worshiping the one true God. And Elijah takes all of the prophets of Baal and kills every one of them. He was really worn out by the end of that day. Psalm 95.6 says this, Come, let us bow down and worship and let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. The wise men bowed before Jesus Simon Peter fell to his knees, and one day every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, 
because the, everyone will get a glimpse into the mighty, awesome power of God. Sometimes we look at our lives and we're like, well, God hasn't done anything that powerful in my life. How can I get this sense of awe about God? Well, just go outside sometime and look up during a sunset and look at the painting God puts in the sky every night. He does this masterwork. Look at your kids. If you have children, look, look at the miracle of life. That's, that's God. It's amazing. So we stand in awe of everything that he can do. So true worshipers worship with awe. True worshipers also worship with abandon. Now I'm going to tell you another story. <laughs> this one's not in the Bible. And I told this in the first story, first service. Ruth did not know I was going to tell this. And it's kind of embarrassing. Not for her, but for me. You'll appreciate this. Ruth and I enjoy going on, uh, going on cruises. And the very first cruise we went on was, uh, it was out of uh, Fort Lauderdale. It was a seven-day cruise. And if you've all ever been on a cruise ship, they have, a, they have theaters in there. Actually, it's about the size of, of what we're, we have in here. And they'll seat anywhere from 700 to 1,000 people in these theaters. And they always put on like these Broadway shows. And there was a show that we wanted to see called, uh, called Divas, right? And it was like the music of Whitney Houston and, and uh, Celine Dion and, you know, all, uh, all of that kind of, you know, my wife's music. I like it too, okay. But so we go in early. Again, first cruise we've ever been on, we didn't know this, this happens, but we go in early. And, and on, on a cruise, if you've ever been on one, they always have the cruise director, and they're, they're usually someone who's very charismatic and funny. And we had this cruise director, his name was Wee Jimmy. He was like four feet, five inches tall. Scottish guy wore a kilt all the time. And he had this thick Scottish accent, which I'm not going to try to, uh, to imitate because I can't do it. And so we, Jimmy, says, okay, we're going to do a little game show up here. We need four couples to volunteer. And I immediately jump up out of my seat and start screaming, pick us, pick us. And, of course, we get picked. Ruth is like, what are you doing? I said, just go in. This will be fun. She's like, oh, I can't believe you're doing this to me. In case you did not know, I'm not an introvert. I don't know if you picked up on that. Uh, Ruth is, and, and we go to parties. She usually just like walks behind me holding my shirt, you know, and I'm like, hi, hi. Ruth's like, be quiet. You're embarrassing me. Well, here we are in front of a sold out crowd doing their little game show. And it was a little contest. They had four couples and they brought out bolts of material, fabric, and we had to like wrap it around our wife like it was a, like a toga or, or a dress or something. And then they would have the crowd would clap to see who, who did the best. And of course, we, we won round one. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We won round one. Round two comes. Remember, this is a diva show. It's, it, it's, it's about, you know, glamorous women singing and they have a runway going down the middle of the theater like this. And the third, or the, the second uh, contest was, it was time for us guys to dance on the runway. Yeah, look, look at me. Do you want to see me dance? <laughs> the first guy goes, the second guy goes, we, Jimmy, has the third person go and pulls me off to the back. He goes, I want you to go last. He goes, do you want to win this? I said, yes. He goes, when you get out there, take off your shirt. And I said, What? 
<laughs> look at me. He goes, exactly. No one's going to expect you to do it. Take off your shirt. Everyone will, everyone will love it. And I'm like, well, okay. Ruth doesn't hear any of this. And so it's my turn. I go out, and the music's going. It's like some EDM dance music. And I'm, first of all, I don't dance. I am like the whitest guy. I'm so white. I'm like transparent. I don't have rhythm. I can't clap and sing at the same time, much less dance, right? So I go out there and I'm trying to dance and I start taking my shirt off and I pull it off and I whip it around. I throw it out into the crowd and I look at Ruth and she's like, <gasps> I had a t-shirt on underneath it. So I, and I start to take the t-shirt off and the music stops and I turn around and wee Jimmy goes, you got to finish what you start. So I took the T-shirt off. So here I am, bare-chested, all 300 pounds of this glorious person standing there with nothing on but his pants, dancing in front of 700 people. We won. (laughs) Ruth was embarrassed. She was turning beet red. But we did win. We won the contest. Okay, believe it or not, this story does have some spiritual significance. How many of you have seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? Those of you who did not raise your hand, you can just leave right now. No, I'm just kidding. It's just one of the greatest movies ever. And in the, in the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, they're trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is uh, it's in, in the Old Testament. It is a gold box about this big with um, uh, cherubims, angels with wings over a mercy seat. Inside the Ark of the Covenant is uh, the actual Ten Commandments, Aaron's staff, and a bowl of manna is in, in this Ark of the Covenant. Well, you would think that if the nation of Israel had this amazing thing called the Ark of the Covenant that would actually let them come into the presence of God, the Holy Spirit would actually come down and sit on that mercy seat. And the high priest would come in and sprinkle blood of sacrifices on there. They were in the actual presence of God. You would think the Israelites would take better care of it, right? Well, there's many times in the, in the Old Testament where the Ark of the Covenant gets like stolen and taken away, and then the Israelites go and get it and then bring it back. Well, this is one of those times. It's time to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David, and King David is so overjoyed that the presence of God is returning into the city of David that he does nothing but dances before the Ark as it's coming through the city to its, to its resting place. And not only is he dancing, he's dancing in his underwear, Like I did in front of all of those people, David is doing the same thing before the Lord, before the Ark of the Covenant, in front of the entire nation of Israel. And his wife reacted the exact same way my wife did, and she was embarrassed. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. 2 Samuel, he gave it all he had. He didn't care what anyone thought. He was worshiping God. If I see some of you out there, raise your hands, and you're waving back and forth, that's awesome. I love that. Because you know what? You don't care what people around you say. You don't care what people around you think. You're worshiping God. That's incredible. But his wife says to him, you've humiliated yourself. You're, a, you're the laughing stock of our nation. And David said this back. David retorted, retorted, I love that word, David, we don't use that in modern language enough, you know, I retort. David retorted to Michael, 
I was dancing before the Lord, yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. In other words, like Elijah, David told Michael, you ain't seen nothing yet. You think, I'm a fool now, just wait, just wait. He worships with abandon. Some of you know what David's talking about. Some of you have had God work, a miraculous work in your life, where you thought this was the end of, this was the end of it. I don't know how things are going to get any better. And then you, you know, you, a year goes by and you look back and you realize that God has blessed you. Well, isn't he worthy then to be worshipped with that abandon? Yeah, it's awesome. You'll see me, like I said, in a church service doing this. But if I'm at a Christian rock concert, I'm all over the place, jumping up and down, yelling my full head off. I'm still worshiping with abandon. So we worship in awe. We worship with abandon. Oh, wait, let's rewind. Um, I didn't tell you that story for you all to start taking your clothes off in worship. Okay, I just want to make myself clear that that's kind of frowned on. So stay legal at least, right? <laughs> So we worship with awe, we worship with abandon, and we worship with intimacy. David says this, one thing I ask from the Lord, this, this only do I seek. This is the only thing he was looking for. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. If David could have one thing, it wasn't power that he asked for. It wasn't things that he asked for. It wasn't money that he asked for. He asked for intimacy with God, that he would dwell in God's house and see his glory all the time. Intimacy. It's kind of like this. If you ask me about my wife, I can go on and tell you a lot of details about her, and I'm going to. When she falls asleep on the couch at night and wakes up, she snorts a little bit. It's kind of cute, you know? When I tell a horrible joke, and I often do, she rolls her eyes so hard that I can hear them knocking around in her eye sockets. <laughs> when she's asleep at night, she rubs her feet together. Sound asleep, dead to the world. Her feet are doing this. I don't know why, but she does. Yep. Saturday mornings, We'll sit in the family room, drink coffee, sometimes till lunchtime, sometimes till early afternoon, just talking, just talking through our week, just continually getting to know each other. We've been married 34 years. We're still, still getting to know each other. I love how she can't hide her feelings. If you want to know how Ruth is doing, just look at her. She'll tell you. It's right on her face. She can't hide anything. Sometimes it's infuriating, but that's Okay. <laughs> We can ride in the car in silence and be completely at ease with each other. I love the way she laughs, and I love the way she loves children and the way she loves family. Do you think I have an intimate knowledge of my wife? Yes. How did I get that? How did I get that? We spend a lot of time together. Uh, ever since COVID, I'm working at home now, so we get to spend even more time together. Before COVID... I, w I had an hour commute to and from work, so 11 hours out of my day, I'm away from her. Now, 
I work for four hours. I even go down and help her. She watches a bunch of kids. We have a little, oh, she left. Bye. She, we, she, she has a daycare in the house, and, um, and I'll come down and help her fix lunch for the kids and then finish my work. And then we have a little ritual. When everyone's gone at five, I come down and we drink more coffee and sit down and talk about our day. We do that every day. So how did we get there? We spent time together. We learned about each other. How do you get to come to an intimate knowledge of God? You spend time together, right? You get to know him. You read his word, prayer, all of that. It all comes into this. So this is about what God wants. And as we grow to know him, not just facts, but intimate knowledge about his character and his goodness, that comes from time spent with him. That comes from hours in his presence. So what I would love to see here at Harmony, like I said up front, this is about worship. And I got to be honest with you all, you guys are doing pretty good. You kind of got a good worship leader, you know. I like to call him lead worshiper. But I look around and see you guys. You guys have your hands up. You're singing. When he cut to the a cappella part of that last song, oh, it was beautiful. You could hear every, every voice in here. It was amazing. I see people out here who have heard from God during their week. I see people out here who hear from God in their daily lives. And people out here have been transformed by his grace. And so when you come in here and it's time to worship and praise him, it's an easy thing to do. It's an easy thing to do. As I've gotten to know my wife over these decades that we've been married, it's very easy for me to go in and tell her that I love her. It's very easy for me to say, you look amazing today. And I don't have to lie about it. That's, that's a great thing too, right? But, but uh, it's the same way when you come into worship. If you know God, it's very easy to offer that worship up with passion. You all can't wait to get in here on a Sunday morning and fellowship and worship with all these other believers. I think that's incredible. And uh, Anthony's going to come out and start, start strumming the guitar. In a few moments, you're going to be able to have another chance to express your awe and reverence in worship. Anthony's going to lead, lead us. But before we do, there may be some of you out there that have no chance of having this intimate knowledge of God because you haven't been introduced to him. And we here at Harmony would love to have that opportunity. There will be people standing around the church with these cool glow-in-the-dark green lanyards. If you would like to, during this, during this last song, if you would like to, go track one of them down, and they'd be more than happy to pray with you and to tell you about this God that is so awesome, this consuming fire, and how you can have an intimate relationship with him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this amazing Sunday that you've given to us. These two services have just been phenomenal. Lord, we can, we can, we can feel your presence in here, Lord, as, as, we, as we lift your name up in worship, Lord. I just pray that, that if there's anyone in here and that has not been introduced to you, that, that needs to get to know you, that, uh, that we, can, we can help them and, and show them the way, Lord. I just pray that you would be with us as this, this service comes to a conclusion and we head into our week, that we will not forget your awesome power and how we should stand in awe of you and how we should get to know you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.